Today's episode of the Locked On Phillies podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Locked On Phillies podcast. Of course, I am your host, recent Temple University Media School graduate and lifelong Philadelphia Phillies fan, Dan Wilson. And on today's episode, part two of my conversation with Crossing Broads, Bob Wankel. Bob, great guy. Really enjoyed talking to him. If you haven't already listened to part one of my conversation with him, that's already been posted. Highly recommend doing so. But here in part two, we kind of got into what's really got gone wrong with the Phillies the past few years. Why was it they missed the playoffs? Where are they headed now with Dave Dombrowski? Are they better served? signing a guy like JT Romuto, and what are some things that Major League Baseball and really sports in general can pull from 2020 that were positives and what really needs to go back to the way it was. So I got into that and a whole lot more with Bob here in part two of my conversation. So without further ado, part two of my conversation with Crossing Broads, Bob Wankel. I think it was with, I I had Jack Fritz, another friend of the pod and a coworker I have, uh, WIP now as well. It was either with him or Jillio. It's like, wow, these guys get to positions of power with teams. And they're obviously like so smart in their own world, but don't know a lick about like speaking publicly when they're questioned on anything that they don't even ridiculous, like know how ridiculous they sound. And look, you can get away with saying ridiculous. The difference between John Middleton, you know, making an ass of himself when he's speaking publicly and Jeff Lurie doing it is Jeff Lurie has a Lombardi trophy sitting behind him when he does it. Like he's playing relatively speaking. I know no one, like it's not, house money because you can't just do whatever you want forever and live on one season but he's at least been like a much more successful owner during his time with the team so you get a much more of a pass Middleton since he's owned the team just everything's been a disaster and the team you know has been the d- disaster for the better part of a decade and there was again rejuvenate rejuvenated interest with Harper and then that died like that honeymoon kind of phased off and look the problems go well beyond Bryce Harper they went well beyond Gabe Kapler they went well beyond Joe Girardi to say that Joe Girardi was going to be the difference maker. Like I had argued at the end of the Philly season this year that it might've almost been better for them to miss the playoffs. Just And this, people had the same debate with the Eagles, but that it like almost spoke to the larger organizational problems. Like I didn't need anyone's job getting saved just for them to get swept in a two Oh series in two days by the Dodgers like that wouldn't have really been a successful season in my mind they still were actively trying to get there couldn't do it but in terms of like what you can do this year no I think the interest is going to be low again I'm sick of them playing the COVID victim thing like that's just I don't think any team should be doing that everyone's dealing with the same kind of issues the rotation like you really look someone even as good as Aaron Nola hasn't pitched well down the stretch the past few Septembers. Like that's no, a problem you, that kind of you brought that up. I mean, we look at Aaron Nola as if he's one of the five best pitchers in baseball and he'll, you know, in July and August, always put together that stretch where you're just completely dazzled. I mean, I've sat at that stadium multiple times and I've said to myself, like, my God, like this guy really is special. But if you go back to 2019, you want to do a power rankings of why the Phillies missed the playoffs. Aaron Nola is right at the top. I believe they lost something like his last eight starts to close. Oh, it, was, it was insane. Like they literally, and you can't afford to lose those games. So in some ways I give him a bit of a, not a pass, but like, he, cause if you want to be the ace of the team, right, you need to win on the back of him, but they had to win. They, those were all must win games as a result of their inability to win on any other night down the stretch of that season. Sure but they couldn't get wins behind him. He didn't pitch as well as he needed to. And it led to the demise of Gabe Kapler and ultimately the demise of Matt Clintac just a season later. 
you know, when you get into this season and you look at where they're headed and, and like the big storylines heading into 2021, the one that uh, I really think uh, is going to dictate whether or not this team is a 76, seven. And I don't know if you've seen it, but we've gotten some of those early like zips projections and fan projections, and they're not very positive as they relate to the Phillies. You know, we're talking about a potentially uh, 75 to 78 win team right now. So how do the Phillies go from that, which is, is probably their floor? I mean, we're not talking about one of the worst teams in the National League here, but how do the Phillies go from maybe a shade below 500 to possibly a contending team, right? And I think that Scott Kingery is is one of the keys. You know, this is a guy, and I know that he'll forever be linked to Dustin Pedroia and these ridiculous expectations that were unfair, quite honestly, and I don't think that he's necessarily going to become an all-star player for this team, but I'm shocked. I'm truly shocked about his lack of productivity. And I was stunned about his, his 2020 season. And I know that we can attribute it to the COVID issues that he had coming into camp. It was like, he was never quite right. Um, and, and he had talked about how some of his, his weakness early on uh, he was overcompensating it and then he hurt his back. And I don't know how much those physical injuries took a toll on his game, but he was also a player that, that lacked confidence and he was completely shot by the end of that season. You know, it was just a disaster for him. And I just, I'm curious to see with uh, an ability to hit the reset button, still being a talented player. There's a reason why a lot of people in that organization were up on him. It's because he's, a, he's got talent, you know, can he put something together that, that was going to match those initial expectations. And if he can do that, you know, that, that's a huge, a huge step forward for them. A guy like Zach Eflin, can he take a step forward? I mean, there's, there's ways that you can be optimistic about the Phillies. Like I'm not sitting here in the middle of January and saying like, don't even bother. You know, that's, that's not good. That's not good for your show. It's not good for my show. I got to cover this for 160 games this season. It's not good for our mental sanity. Quite yeah, honestly, nobody yeah. wants that. you know, it's not, not that I have my, you know, not that I'm like super fan here. I, I've accumulated some stuff behind me over the years. I have some memorabilia around the house and all. And I, 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 I guess I want the Phillies to do well. Right. Like, but in order, in order for it to happen, some of these guys really do have to take the next step. And it is possible. Like, I mean, there is a path to them being competitive this year. Um, but there's also a path to this just being a another bad season. A really bad season. It was shortly after the qualifying offer deadline that I think I had Fritz on the podcast. And we were both collectively livid at the fact that they didn't give a qualifying offer to Didi Gregorius almost because it for a variety of reasons one being it seemed like it made too much sense it seemed like a stopgap between now and Bryson Stott coming up in maybe about a year it seemed like okay here's a guy who's inconsistent over his career you're not going to sign him for three or four years he was good for you this year and this ballpark bring him back for one more season and if nothing else like as we sit here today on January 13th, they're planning on playing Scott Kingery in the opening day lineup and pretty much every day throughout the course of the season. I know you said there's a path and some reason still to be optimistic, but he was, let's call it what it was, horrendous last year. And if he isn't like seriously improved, like there's absolutely no way that you can sell that you're a even competitive team playing him, starting guys like Vince Velasquez, every fifth day when look, I mean, how many spring trainings in a row have we heard that he's taken a big step this season? Like I cannot it's just, believe it's just the same thing. Like it seems like Groundhog Day part of this roster. <laughs> I just cannot it, believe it. It doesn't it seem like Groundhog Day we're just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. 
Um, you know, the thing that I don't know that, that people are really looking at, we always want to focus on the bullpen and, you know, can they make strides offensively? But right now, let's just go through this infield. And I mean, we could talk about the corner outfield positions in a second, but if, if this starting infield defensively is going to be Alec Bohm at third base, Gene Segura at shortstop, Scott Kingery at second base, and Reese Hoskins at first, that is arguably one of the worst defensive infields. They're going to need about three DHs to get support. That. And then that kind of would make me a little bit skeptical about Zach Eflin taking a step forward. You know, it's the same thing we saw with like Jake Arrieta over the last couple of years. Guy wasn't very good, but he also didn't get a ton of help from his infield defense at times. And if I, have, if you're not a big strikeout guy, you're going to need yeah, help. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's one thing with Eflin, his strikeout numbers have definitely gone up. Uh, you know, he he doesn't focus on pitching at the top of the zone like he did in 2019. He kind of got a little bit more comfortable, reverted back to the, the sinker as a priority. The strikeout numbers are going to be up, but he's still going to give up contact on the ground. And you look at the left side of the infield, especially not a ton of range there. Scott Kingery is supposed to be a plus defender at second base. I haven't seen that since he's been up here. And part of that is because he's been jerked around the entire field. You know, he, he hasn't had consistency at a single position. Reese Hoskins, for my money, is one of the worst defensive first basemen in the sport. And then you take JT Real Muto out of the out of the mix, potentially behind the plate. And my goodness, it's just a horrendous defensive team. Then you go to the corner outfield and, and you look at Andrew McCutcheon, who's probably going to start in best case scenario for you, 115, 120 games. Um, he's OK. He's adequate, I suppose, at this point. And then Bryce Harper, I thought was a plus defender for them last year, but by nature is not that. And, and so you just you look at this team defensively and you say, Oh my God, you know, and, and whatever that means in center field, whether that's some combination of Roman Quinn or Adam Hazley or whatever the case may be average, I'd say, you know, certainly Quinn covers a lot of ground, but you know, the consistency really pretty is pretty bad good. hitter. Yeah. Like yeah. I just, yeah. And yeah. that's, that's part of the reason why when I evaluate this, I say, this is an average team. Uh, you know, is there a path to a wild card spot? Possibly, you know, I could, I can squint really hard and look at the bullpen just, being better because it has to be um, I can, I can squint and look at the lineup and say, listen, there's still some parts here, even if they don't resign real Muto and the, the rotation, especially at the top, still intriguing defensively though. Uh, it's a mess. And it's, it's a huge concern that I don't think is going to be really talked about enough until it, it starts to become a problem. And I think it's going to be an obvious problem very early on. One thing that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to circle back to a little bit here was the competition that they're playing within this division. Look, Cohen up in New York obviously buys the team. That's ownership. Talk about that has a fan base excited immediately makes a big splash for Francisco Lindor for Carlos Carrasco was a potential suitor for JT Romuto went a direction. I thought the Phillies actually should have tried to pursue in James McCann. They're certainly a lot better. The Braves, I mean, talk about building it the right way, have young superstars that are going to carry that team and potentially run the NL East or at least be in contention in the NL East for years to come. The Nationals had a seriously down season last year, but again, like they were the world champs two years ago. And the Marlins finally just get into the post. Like there's no, you're looking around for the weak link in the division and all signs kind of just point back to you. Like how are they going to compete in this division moving forward. And it certainly does not help the op optimism that they have to face all of these teams 19 times a year. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, you can make an argument that the NL West is, is the best team or the best division in the league. I would say that the East is right up there with them. And when you go from top to bottom, the East is probably the superior division. I know that there are a lot of people that feel that way. 
So yeah, it's it's not like the uh, 2020 NFC East where you say, hey, I know this team isn't very good, but they're not getting in at 500. No, no, it's not going to work. You know, 81 wins isn't going to do it. And uh, I think that that's a big part of the the problem. And and I think that the Phillies also are aware of that. They look at their own roster and say, like, yeah, we're not good enough as is. But now when you stack it up against some of our competition. You know, what's the sense in going out and patching with the mid-level free agent signing here and there? You know, like, does a guy like uh, Drew Smiley make a lot of sense for this roster? Does it, you know, pitchers like that going out and getting like Charlie Morton, right? Like, I would love to see Charlie Morton here in theory, but like, is Charlie Morton the difference for this Phillies team? And that's a hell of a spot to be in. When you say like going out and getting a guy that's a, a viable two, three starter still may not be enough to really make you a, a a legitimate contender. I don't know, you know, and the only thing I can say, if, if you really are like grasping for straws here, looking for optimism and, and I, we've been, I've been criticized for this at crossing broad. I'm, I'm not the rosiest. Uh, I don't have the rosiest outlook uh, by nature. I, I basically said the last two teams, this team st- or last two seasons, this team stinks. And then it, it kind of bears out that way. And I sort of feel that way again. The only thing I could say is that in Philadelphia, there's this like weird phenomenon, which like when there aren't high expectations, sometimes teams tend to exceed those expectations. And when there are expectations, like there have been the last two years with the Phillies, they haven't been met. So, you know, maybe with some of the pressure off without the the championship buzz, you know, got to end the drought talk. Maybe some guys, a guy like Scott Kingery, Maybe he's a dude that says like, all right, well, you know, some of the pressure's off now. People aren't thinking on the next superstar here and he can just go out and play baseball and, and have a better year. That's not very comforting, right? Like, well, as I hear myself say this, I'm like, my God, like if this is really what we're, you know, holding on to, we're in trouble. But these are the different variables. These are the dis- different contextual factors that the Phillies are really going to need to have break right for them in order to, to stay in this. Because like you said, when you look at the Mets, you look at the Braves, the Nationals still have a lot of pitching, especially in the front end of the rotation, still some dangerous hitters in the lineup. The Phillies don't match up with these teams. So they're going to need those teams to get hurt. They're going to need things to not go right outside of the organization. They're going to need things to break right within. And, and that's how the Phillies become an 86-87 win team and get into the playoffs this year. But this this team's ceiling is not higher than that. And And – I don't think even the most optimistic person could, could see it any, any other way. You mentioned Smiley and Morton, like what smart teams do. And granted, I agree with you. The Braves are in a much different timeline than the Phillies are, but they go out and sign those. I'll call them, you know, patch it up guys early in free agency when no one's paying attention in the dead of winter. And they get those guys on the roster on inexpensive one, two year deals. And it doesn't feel like the Phillies, have oftentimes been out in front of the market like that, the way the Braves have. And it's certainly like the Phillies are going to have to face them. That's a former Philly and Charlie Morton who literally wanted to come back. They didn't go after it, went to Tampa, obviously had a lot of success. Smiley, a former Philly from just a few years ago. Like, no, I don't think that's the make or break decision of the off season, but I don't like, I don't like this whole idea of the waiting game of like, ah, this whole off season is dedicated to waiting around for real Muto. Like you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Two things you just said, and I'm glad you brought them up because they're two things I've thought about quite a bit lately. Number one, the Phillies have only been able to go out and and show that they can identify the most expensive object and buy it. Like, they're good at that. Zach Wheeler? Okay, great. Bryce Harper? Okay, great. They lack creativity, though. They are not good when it comes to how do we go out and get that that guy that, that might not be at the top of the market, might cost a little bit less, 
they are very, very poor when it comes to both free agency and making trades to get those supplementary pieces. Horrible at it. One of the biggest faults of the Matt Clentac regime. The other aspect of it is, and you talk about like JT Real Muto kind of like holding this team hostage. You know, it depends how you want to look at it, but I will tell you this. I'm very curious to see what this fan base thinks of this team if they go out and sign Real Muto. Like if they get that deal done, all of a sudden do people just say like, oh, okay, well, we are a contender now because I don't believe I th- that JT Real Muto alone is going to be enough to push this team into contention. I, I, I think it's very naive if anyone thinks that way. It feels like it's going that way though. It's like this point of pride. Like everyone's just dug in. It's like the equivalent of Fire like, Howie, right? Like Fire Howie and Sign JT are the only two things that could possibly appease these fan bases. And honestly, I don't think that any of them exclusively are a huge difference maker, especially the Real Muto one. Oh, the Real Muto one, especially. Like, the team has been bad with Real Muto on it. More of my conversation with Bob Wankel coming right up. We get more into things such as 2020's baseball season. What did it look like? What did it look like from a media perspective? What needs to stay? What needs to go? And maybe some rule changes. That's kind of actually one of my favorite topics here in the middle of January, February, as we get closer to Major League Baseball season. What are the rules going to look like for 2021 and beyond? Things like the DH, things like the three batter minimum. Are they going to take anything from 2020 and utilize that in the future of baseball? I think it's big. I think it's big for the Phillies. And so I talked with Bob about that in part two of my conversation with him here on today's episode. But first, I wanted to tell you about my friends at Bet Online. Look, the NFL playoffs already underway. We already had Super Wild Card Weekend. The divisional round is coming up. And there's only one place that has you covered and one place we here at Locked On Trust. It's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use that promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Again, got some big NFL games coming up this weekend, but if you're not a football person, look, NBA already well underway. Flyers already underway. Got a big 6-3 win over the Pittsburgh Penguins last night. Plenty of NHL to bet, plenty of college basketball to get, and there's just so much action. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Start winning. Start getting some bets in. Don't forget to use that promo code Locked On. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, bet online. Your online sportsbook experts. Also, want to tell you about my friends at Built Bar. Of course, the best tasting protein bar ever. They have 18 amazing flavors, including six new ones: caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They're Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. But the best part about these things and why I personally like eating Built Bars is that they are healthy. They're great for the health-conscious guy or girl. They'll help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Their bars are low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. Great for anyone on a diet. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off. Your next order, again, use the promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for 20% off. One last time, that's www.builtbar.com, promo code locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next online order. More of the Locked On Phillies podcast coming right up, but I did want to tell you about another podcast we have here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Look, 2020 is mercifully over. It's time for a fresh start with a few more wins and a few more betting wins. If you're betting this year and you want more wins, listen to the Locked On Bets podcast with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. 
They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Be sure to subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcasts. So reclaim, you know, re-signing a guy to an expensive contract as he's getting older and all signs historically point to him getting worse does not make the team a contender if it wasn't previously. A few other things you're mentioning, like, are they a playoff team or not? I just, and this is a larger baseball problem of they just haven't even determined some of the rules for next season. I know a lot of it is, you know, players union versus the owners and stuff like that. Are they rolling with this expanded playoff system moving forward? If so, for how many years do we have a DH in 2021? Like, can they get off days for real Muto, but still keep them in the lineup that way? You mentioned the horrendous defense that's currently in the infield. Can we get some of those guys as a DH again, Hoskins at first base, Bohm at third base. Like there's a, a number of things that we don't even know in terms of getting excited, what this season is going to mean, but I'm right there with you. Like to think that real Muto is the difference between this team being a contender and like, you're kidding yourself. That brings them right back to where we were three months ago. Yeah. Let me give you this real quick. So uh, I don't know if you uh, do anything in the, the betting space or, or not, but if you look at the uh, division odds right now in DraftKings. You have the Braves are plus 125 to win the division. They're the favorite. Mets come right behind, plus 250. Nationals, plus 475. Marlins, plus 750. And then the Phillies are last at plus 850. Now, if you go out and sign JT Real Muto, I'd say that probably would, in terms of what the odds makers think, either push them just ahead of the Marlins or probably even up with the Marlins. So, so you know, wow, you're in fourth now. Like, yeah, and so I guess what I'm saying is this isn't just like a salty, uh, a salty baseball writer that you know grew up disappointed by the Phillies and, and hasn't liked what he's seen the last two years. I mean, we're if if we're being unbiased, if we're looking at this from an objective viewpoint, it's very hard to make the case that that this is something or that this is a team that you should really buy into. Um, I'm really interested just to get back to this upcoming season in addition to the baseball and will the team be competitive? And I know that that's what most people care about. I'm also interested from a contextual standpoint, just to see, are we going to get back to a place where fans are in the stands? Is this going to look somewhat normal in 2021? And and that's something that I really think is going to be one of the biggest storylines of the season, much the way that COVID was the dominant storyline of of the 2020 season. um, I really am, am interested to see how teams handle attendance uh, restrictions on capacity at stadiums. I'm hopeful. I really am hopeful that come the home opener, Citizens Bank Park will at least have some percentage of capacity, you know, some capacity crowd in there, like 25, 30, 35%. Um, because it just, if we're going to have to suffer through another season, if fans are going to have to suffer through another season of this, you know, it would at least be nice to, to get out and enjoy it. And, you know, go to the park. And I know that that sounds like almost silly, right? You're like, wait, people are going to the stadium if they stink. But like after what has happened over the last year, I think that it would be be happy to get out at least a little bit. Absolutely. Happy to get out, happy to just see a game. And I think that that's going to be a big part of this season as well. In addition to like what you talked about at the very top of the show, which was, you know, is the season going to start on time right now? It looks like the plan is to kind of get going and and have spring training pitchers and catchers report in mid February, but just the timing, the mechanics of the season, um, unfortunately for Phillies fans, I think that that stuff might be just as interesting as the actual on-field product. Yeah, it's true. Like, we don't know if we're going to start on time. We don't know if there's going to be fans. We got a little dabble of fans in 2020, just for the NLCS and the world series. It, that's that whole thing is still very weird to me. Like if you're, if you live in 
uh, the Dallas, Arlington, Texas area, and you're a Rangers fan, the only fans who have ever been in your ballpark are like <laughs> Braves, Mets, and Rays fans, or people who just went to the playoffs. Like you've still never had a game with people there. An NLCS game one, like opened your stadium to the public. Still a very weird spectacle. Obviously, different states and cities have handled very differently in terms of people going, not going, addressing a fluid situation. And there's a lot to get there. I'll get you out of here on this. Based upon what we saw in 2020, it was a very different baseball season. Everyone from media being on Zoom calls versus being in person in the media room, only media being allowed at Citizens Bank Park all year. What rules? What, well, I'll give you from your own perspective, what differences it could be off the field stuff. Did you like not like? And I'll also get to the rules really quickly. And I'll tell you what I thought of them. Just kind of the rule changes we saw in 2020 that I'd like to see stay and go in 2021. I ultimately have always at my core been an anti DH guy, I like the strategy that comes with kind of having to work around it. But I think at this point it makes sense to move forward with the DH. I've never liked that one league had it. One league didn't. So I do think eventually we should just go to a unified approach that we saw in 2020. I think it's a perfectly good excuse to stay with that. The three batter minimum I didn't really like, I think it's a misguided approach to try and speed up the game. We had all time highs in game length anyway, which I get it. It was a shortened season. You're going to the bullpen more. The runner on second in the 10th inning on, I liked more than I thought I was going to. I thought it was kind of baseball's version of the shootout. And I'm trying to think if there were any other rule changes that I'm missing here, but were the, what were your thoughts on the, what in 2020, are there any positives you would like to see stay just league wide? moving forward i i won't like give you like a long elaborate answer i'll just tell you something i liked and something i didn't like okay uh, go ahead. I hated the three batter minimum uh i believe that baseball is a game of strategy i think handcuffing managers at the sake of trying to spare two minutes of game time is insane i think there's other ways that you can speed up the game if you're hell-bent on doing it so i hated that um i will tell you uh, though I do not foresee this sticking, I, I too was a, uh, I was pleasantly surprised with the extra inning runner on second. Um, you know, I, I know it cheapens it a little bit. I know that you don't technically earn it the way that you traditionally would, but the, again, baseball being a game of strategy, do you bunt the runner over to third right away? How do you play it? Uh, I thought it was really compelling. I thought that there were plenty of Phillies games last year uh, that went into extra innings that that became infinitely more interesting because of the implementation of that rule. Um, so do I expect it to stay put moving forward? I don't, but I actually enjoyed it. I was And I was caught off guard by it because I consider myself to be somewhat of a purist uh, or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'll be honest with you, I did actually enjoy it. From a media standpoint, uh, you know, the Phillies take a lot of criticism in a lot of different ways and deservedly so. But one thing I will say is that the uh, people that handle the media there, their media relations people are uh, top notch. And so uh, I was actually a little bit concerned. You know, I was somebody that took COVID-19 very seriously. Um, you know, I have older parents that are in their 70s. I didn't want to hurt them or any of that stuff. And, you know, I spent uh, months basically inside. You know, I was having groceries delivered at one point because I was afraid to go to ShopRite. Um, and then that being said, they opened up baseball and they, they opened up the park for uh, the, the summer camp. And that was really some of the first exposure that I had had to, you know, sunlight yeah. <laughs> world in, in months. And I was nervous about it. I said, you know, I want to do this. I think this is an important season in a lot of ways. The Phillies were great in terms of, uh, you know, uh, taking safety protocols into consideration and keeping everyone safe. I don't think that there were any issues whatsoever with the media last season. 
Um, so that, you know, kudos to them on that front. Uh, and then just in terms of the way the media was conducted, I do think that Zoom, um, you know, served its purpose. And I wouldn't be surprised if we continue at least into the start of this baseball season with Zoom being the exclusive way to conduct these, uh, you know, media manager sessions, media player sessions. Don't love it. Um, and I don't think anybody in the media does. You know, in a way, it's convenient. You could be at home and, and have the same access that you otherwise would have had, which is really nice, I guess. But being in the locker room, talking to guys, observing body language, the way that people are interacting with one another, having those one-on-ones with the players, getting that anecdotal background information that kind of helps you form an opinion about what's actually happening. You missed a lot of that last season. And, and you know, it put everybody in a way it was like a leveling experience. You could be a, a, a blogger, you know, like, you know, you could write for crossing broad or you could write for the Philadelphia inquire. And in some ways the access was similar, you know, and, and it was a common denominator by was, virtue of like lack of a better way a little bit. Yeah. And like, I, but to be honest with you, I, I did not like it. I really, and, and I have not, I'm not somebody that was in the locker room for a decade. You know, I did it for one year. I had access to the locker room for a year and then COVID happened. Um, but I would hope, and I, I imagine that media members, media types are going to really make a push once things become safe to try to open this thing back up to the way it was. And I am a little bit concerned now that we've gone down this road, will we ever go back to the way it was? Because teams have more control over the message in the Zoom environment. And that's not good for, for media members, and it's not good for fans. And I don't know that fans always realize that. But you know, that access is a trickle-down effect. It, it makes more accountability, it makes media more informed, and it makes fans more informed. It, no, it's a good it, it's a good point. And it certainly is someone who is, you know, kind of breaking into the media industry in my own right. Like, it is an interesting thing to think about of, like, no one's ever really considered this as an option before. Would they stick with it? In terms of the on-field play, the other one I forgot, by the way, that I did not like, though, it kind of made, I guess, a little bit of sense this year was the seven inning double headers. I think that cheapened the game. Yeah, I think that cheapens the game. Like you're literally shortening the game. A ninth inning guy becomes a seventh inning guy. Wasn't a fan. The St. Louis Cardinals missed like two weeks. They're playing like they were getting pretty close to playing triple headers. Like I understand why you had to do it. I did like in 2020, I think leagues, especially baseball, that can oftentimes be archaic and it's thinking was more open to trying things this year for basically lack of a better option, just getting something on the field. So I did like that. I think there are certain things that should be looked upon and be like, okay, maybe this is better, even though we've been doing it for years. The media thing is something I hope does go back to the way that it was in all sports, not just baseball, but some of the on-field rules and strategy, I would actually hope stay. And again, I wouldn't, I don't know if I could give, get myself to vote for it. Again, like I'm 23, I might be in the minority here in terms of being a quote unquote baseball purist. I don't know if I would, could bring myself to vote for the runner on second, but I wouldn't be upset if they like kept it. Like it's kind of like that's very it, well said. Like like it like it's kind of like the shootout in hockey is what I feel. It's like when they brought it in, everyone was like, "No, I don't like this." And then it's like suddenly, okay, this is kind of cool. It's only in the regular season. No World Series game is going to end this way. No one wants to stick around for an 18 inning game in May anyway. You have the every now and again Wilson Valdez moment. But the fact that I'm even saying Wilson Valdez's name, and that was what 10 years ago now almost, like kind of speaks to the fact that, you know, it's basically a needle in the haystack that you get a game like that anyway. And oftentimes it's just bad. So 
let's speed the game up. It, inc- it does increase strategy. You were right about that. I remember from the World Baseball Classic a few years ago, I really liked it then, and I thought it was interesting. I, I wouldn't be mad if they kind of stuck with that. So th- that is one small positive of 2020, because I doubt they would have ever brought themselves to try it, at least in the near future, if it wasn't for a pandemic season. I look at it like it's like fast food, like uh, it's like McDonald's. I'm not going to go to McDonald's and, and actively seek out McDonald's, but if you put it, but, in if, it, but of, if you're driving by and you're like, there's McDonald's, you're like, maybe, you know, and that's kind of how I feel about that rule. It's just like, I don't think I would vote for it either. Um, but I wouldn't stop my feet. If that's if, the one thing I would definitely give into that before I gave into the three batter minimum. Yeah. Or I, I gave into the seven inning double header. Again, I think the DH makes sense at this point, I never really liked that the world series kind of rotates back and forth. Like, again, it's just, if I could go back in history, I would make the DH never exist to begin with. Most of the players like it better. Pitchers don't hit, want to hit these days. Just get a DH there. And from a Phillies perspective, it certainly benefits them as Bryce Harper oh, gets absolutely. older and the, and the defense is just flat out bad. No, absolutely. Well, Bob, thank you so much uh, for your time today. A lot of uh, good stuff talking about this baseball season. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a move here, whether it's Ramuto or otherwise, to get excited about something. I, something I, to talk about, too. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you're Lee isn't getting it done. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're a uh, Seinfeld or a Larry David or a Curb uh, fan, but Larry David always used to complain uh, when he was a kid that his mom would always uh, yell at him that why couldn't you get excited about anything? And that's kind of how I feel about this Phillies team at the moment. It's like, why can't you get excited about the Phillies? Well, what's there to be excited about? But hopefully that I'm hoping that changes. Like I'm really, really hoping that changes because baseball is great. And it coming back in the spring is always exciting, but you get to the dog days of the summer. It, just, it never holds that same umph, especially. Yeah, and you said you're, you said you're 23, right? I'm 23. Yeah. So you now have gone from from basically what seventh grade to post college? Not yeah, I I was spo- I, I was a rotten spoiled brat as a kid because I just happened to grow up in like the. It's greatest always going to be like this. <laughs> I I was I grew up in like the worst era. I like I was really when I first got into sports, the Eagle. Like I remember the tail end of the Eagles going to the NFC Championship every year. Of course, they never got over got over the hump. And then I was in college when they eventually won. But in terms of the Phillies, like it was fourth to eighth grade for me. And and like, okay, this team is going to be relevant every year. So spoiled, never had any understanding of how historically bad this franchise is. And ever since it's, it, I've as much as I could grasp an understanding from it. And just because I have a sick mind that decides to stay up for West coast games in LA when they're down six, two and 10 games out of, a wild card spot in August. Oh, look, I, I feel the pain, but I just, I wake up every day and just pretend like it's opening day. Like every game is its own entity is the only way I think you can get through the marathon of a major league baseball season, especially with this team. A hundred percent. Well, Bob, again, thank you so much for your time. Did have to uh, reschedule by the way, because my power went off in my house, all good today. So I do appreciate your flexibility uh, sure. and, and we'll definitely, uh, We'll have to do this again soon. Again, hopefully we'll have more to uh, chomp on at this point and get excited about. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime. That'll do it for part two of my conversation with Bob Wankel. I want to thank Bob for taking the time uh, to speak with me about all of these important topics about the Philadelphia Phillies as we now flip the calendar into 2021. If you can believe it, pitchers and catchers just about a month away. So 
certainly things will be building up. The interest will be building up. I know it doesn't always seem like it. If with this offseason that moves at a snail's pace, it's baseball wide. But the NL East surely is going to be excited this year. And hopefully, I'm, I know we're all hoping the Phillies will certainly compete in that. So once again, thank you to Bob for taking the time. Later this week, got Destiny Lagardo from philliesnation.com joining me on the podcast. Have a lot to discuss with her as, again, we kind of move along in this offseason. We still don't know whether G- JT Realmuto will be on the Phillies in 2021. One of these days, we're going to have to find out. Like One of these days, I will have a podcast reacting to that. Do not know where that will be. So until then, definitely trying to continue to book uh, good and interesting guests who uh, are always fun to talk to about this team. And trying to project this team with some big unknown pieces can be difficult, but I certainly uh, feel that we've gotten some of the best in the business to talk about this. And until we have an answer, we're just going to have to deal with what we got. So one last time, thank you to Bob. Looking forward to having Destiny on the podcast. Hope everyone has a good one. I'll talk to you tomorrow.